Welcome to Echoes of Holiness podcast. The Lord tonight. And I didn't volunteer for this job. I was asked. But uh, I don't dread it a bit. And I appreciate it this morning. I enjoyed the preaching. And I enjoyed the teaching. I can't remember a time that I have feasted any more than what I did this morning. Uh, some time ago, a few years ago, uh, I guess I was raised up in the same Pentecostal atmosphere as everyone else. No such thing as teaching. And I have found through a few years of evangelizing, and I know a lot of men that are pastors and so what, they can't teach. They, they try to start, but somewhere out in the middle they, they shift about seven gears immediately. And it's over with. It's a lack of discipline. And I had a great lack of discipline for a long time. And I want to tell you why. It's because we have programmed our people that if we're not shouting, and we're not leaping, and we're not jumping, then it's not anointed. And so when the preacher or teacher goes to the floor and tries to teach, it's intimidating because we don't respond to teaching like we do preaching. And it took me several years... I mean several years to do what I'm getting ready to do. And I have found that teaching has been more effective at God's miracle mission than preaching ever was. Now preaching has got its own place and nothing else can take the place of preaching. Preaching, it lifts, it motivates, it encourages, it challenges. A lot of time preaching moves now. But can you imagine being in the 11th grade and a math class and the teacher going to the board and uh, throwing the chalk at you, throwing the eraser out the window, jumping up on your desk, screaming, hollering algebra at you. I mean, you'd have a good time, wouldn't you? And you'd want to come back to class. And you'd probably learn a little bit about algebra. And you'd feel real good and everything would be great. But you probably wouldn't learn algebra. But because they stood there and they broke it down and they started with the basics and built and they kept kept teaching and kept teaching, you learned algebra. And that's what teaching does. And as the brother said earlier, the Bible didn't say that a pastor was apt to preach. He's apt to teach. And I think that we all can stand a little teaching. I certainly can. There's many things that I don't know. And I certainly don't know everything about fasting. And I don't mean to slam any of us at all, but brothers, we need to be teaching the gospel. And I'm going to tell you why. Some years ago, the Holy Ghost spoke to me very plainly, and I don't want to offend anyone, but God told me that His people were ignorant people. And it wasn't a finger at the laity. It was a finger at the preachers. Because we're not teaching our people anything. We're screaming, we're yelling, and preaching, and preaching, and preaching. And I discovered in our church that we had people that didn't even know that Jesus was eternal. They thought He was created there when He was born from the Virgin. Found people in our Pentecostal owner's church that had been saved for years that didn't know the Holy Ghost was a person. Just teaching. And I, I, I decided then that my one mission is not to make them shout, but it's to deposit something in them that when I'm long gone, they can deposit it to their children. Just teaching is different. It's flat-footed. It's right in your face. We're not going anywhere. We're looking at each other. 
and uh, it's not emotional, and it is what it is. And so I came with an assignment tonight. I want to talk to you about fasting. Just two points I'm going to make. It's one message. I split it up into two, and we'll talk tomorrow evening about a Holy Ghost atmosphere. But I want to talk about what fasting is, how to do it, and what it's about to the best of my ability. And so let us open our Bibles tonight to the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. And I will, I will share this with you while you're opening your Bible. I started, well, I fought it for about six years. The Lord had impressed upon me to start writing books and things of that nature and putting teaching series in audio form. And I fought it and fought it and fought it because nobody wants to hear you know, a young man teach, and nobody wants to hear what you got. You know how it is. You can't do nothing for God because nobody, nobody, nobody. And through a course of events and different people pressuring me, I just just did it. I just jumped out and started. And uh, you'll find a couple of the series back there that I've done. I did one on praying, the Praying Always series. Uh, probably my most, uh, my crowning work as of yet. And I ain't got many of them, and it's... Uh, the teaching's not very good, but the material is outstanding. And then there's another series out there on holiness. And I think the Praying Always series is nine lessons on nine CDs. The holiness series is 11 lessons on six CDs. And the holiness lessons, they kind of evolve from people asking me why. A lot of new people coming, people that were out in the world, and they, they felt condemned about cutting hair, and they didn't know why. And so after I had many questions asked, why don't we do this and why don't we do that, I did a series on holiness. I broke it down very elementary. It's not real deep. I think that anyone would glean from it, but it's excellent for a new convert or someone who just wants to know why we do what we do. And so they're out there. And then there's a, another one. It's a dramatized testimony, how God saved me. And so feel free. And if you don't have any money and you really want some of it, just take them all and it won't cost you a thing. That's fair enough, ain't it? Okay. I'll just talk and y'all just sit out there and act like I'm talking to y'all, right? And so the fifth chapter of Galatians, let's read in verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. And I'm asking you please... I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to probably cross up some of you tonight, and I'm glad that's what I'm here for. Uh, I'd like to destroy some preconceived notions about what fasting is, and so that's what I'm going to do. And so before you write me off, if I say something that you've not been taught, just give me just a little while. I guarantee you I'll prove what I'm going to tell you. Now we find in the book of Isaiah 58, 6 and 7, God said, Is not this the fast that I have chosen? 
to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, and thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide thyself from thine own flesh? Amen. I read one place, uh, a great missionary preacher, A.B. Simpson, he said he had a dream one night, and he saw in that dream, maybe a vision, he saw Christ hanging on a cross, and the Spirit told him, said, I want you to go around behind the cross. And Mr. Simpson went around behind that cross, and in in his shock, he saw himself crucified on the backside of that cross. The nails that had stuck through Christ's arms and feet had protruded and stuck through his hands and his feet on the backside. And A.B. Simpson said the Lord taught him what it meant to be crucified with Christ. The Apostle Paul gives us a very powerful, powerful word in Galatians 5.16. He said this, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I want to talk to you tonight on the war that we must win. Now I appreciate the opportunity to teach on such a tremendous subject as fasting. I struggle fasting just like anyone else. If God helps me, I can do it. If He doesn't, I struggle. It's the same with everyone. But fasting is not an option. Fasting is something that you must do. It's something that you must work at. It's just like praying. You don't just jump in there and start praying three hours a day. I remember a few months ago we were going to do some street preaching. And I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a little tough on them, my young people. I don't think anybody just needs to jump out on the streets and start preaching. So I began to talk to them about how I felt like they needed to fast and pray. And one of my young preachers took it and ran with it. And he had a big bunch of my young people huddled around. And he had like 12-year-old kids going to try to fast for seven days. And I tried. I had, to, I had to gather them back up. They hadn't fasted one time in their entire life. And I had to explain to them, this is something that you work yourself into. And it's the truth. But you've got to understand tonight that fasting is what I would call one of the three keys to the victorious Christian life. Prayer, fasting, and Bible reading. And without those three things, you cannot stay saved, much less have power with God. And though I love to teach and preach about praying, I'm going to enjoy this tonight and tomorrow night, and I can assure you that we're going to be squirming a little bit. I thought I'd be out of my element here. I don't know how much teaching you're used to, but as I heard Brother Dykes begin to break the gospel today and teach, I realized that I was right at home, and I appreciate Pastor King for having the audacity to have teaching in a meeting like this when nobody else does. Now I want to start this series off by saying something to you that I hope haunts you night and day. I want to tell you something that I pray will be etched in your mind so thoroughly that it haunts you the rest of your life. And just, just hold your horses. Don't get upset when I say this. But it is impossible to crucify the flesh completely without fasting. It's impossible. If you don't fast, you'll be a carnal, fleshly person your entire life. It's impossible to eradicate the flesh without fasting. And so if I can put it as brutally as I possibly can and make as many mad as I possibly can right off the get-go, it is impossible to eradicate the flesh if you don't fast. All right? I'm going to prove that tonight. 
Now, I want to show you as we begin to teach how important fasting is. We talk about it. We preach about it. We really don't preach too much about it. We'll say something about it in about 13 seconds. And it doesn't last very long because our fasting is about the same, about 13 seconds. And so we say just enough so that people will remember that there's a word in the Bible called fasting. But I would like to tell you tonight that it's much more important than what we say that it is. And I want to put a premium on fasting tonight and explain to you why the Holy Ghost laid a fast convention upon this man of God's heart. We're not here just to lose weight. We're not here because it's a thing to do. There's a distinct uh, a, a reason and a purpose that God has put fasting in the Word of God. And I've got, a, I've got a hunch tonight that a lot of us don't really know. And so teaching should do two things. It should tell you things that you don't know and it ought to reinforce the things that you do and so if God will help me tonight I wish my wife was here I know she'd be praying for me but I got a bunch of sick folk in my house and so she's not here so I'm going to have to ask you to pray for me tonight my pastor's here so I got a little backup and so I want to say this about fasting everyone can fast everybody I don't care how unhealthy you are I don't care what your what your problems are you can fast you see, and as soon as I said that, you equated what I said to your definition of fasting. You said, no, I can't fast like that. Because you don't know what fasting is. To you, fasting is a destruction of the body. But there's a lot more to fasting than what we've been taught. Everybody can fast. Everybody can do what is necessary to crucify the flesh. In all ages and among all nations, fasting has been pr practiced in times of sorrow and times of affliction. It may be regarded as a dictate of nature, which under these circumstances refuses nourishment and suspends the cravings of hunger. The first thing that an animal does when wounded is quit eating. The first thing that a child does, I've got a two-year-old, very sick. First thing she did was stop eating. She wouldn't eat anything for days. I could not get my baby to eat. It's nature's way of healing itself. Nature is trying to do you a service when you get sick and lose your appetite. Now the Jews often resorted to this practice and when they saw it necessary to humble themselves before God or to confess their sins or lessen the displeasure of the Father of God Jehovah, they would fast. Especially in times of public calamity, in times of distress, they appointed extraordinary fasts and they made their cattle and, on, and sometimes they even had their children, their babies fasting if it required it. And so they would begin their observance of their, their fast at sunset and they remained without eating until the same hour of the next day. It doesn't appear by his own practice or by his commands that Jesus instituted any specific fast. He didn't give a definition. He didn't say this is the exact fast that you do. But in Luke 5, 34 and 35, he implied that his disciples would fast after his death. Now accordingly, the life of the apostles and first believers was a life of self-denial. It was a life of suffering. It was a life of fasting. Jesus recognized the custom and the apostles practiced it as the occasion required. And I feel tonight that one of the greatest needs of our time is some men and women of God who will have the discipline enough to push the plate back and to crucify this flesh. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Luke 5, 33 through 35. And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast oft and make prayers and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink? 
Jesus said, Can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. And if you don't know it by now, Jesus has been taken away, and the day of that fast is now. The Bible teaches us very plainly that fasting is one of the three keys of a victorious Christian life. Coupled with prayer and coupled with the Word of God, we can do anything that this Bible tells us that we can do. When it comes to fasting, I was raised in the old school. And they taught us that a person wasn't fasting unless they didn't eat or drink anything. And I remember a lot of times struggling and and I remember watching them, and you didn't see a lot of lengthy fasts. Because somewhere about day six, without water, the body begins to shut down. And they would like to get up that morning and go to work and work as a normal person would. But the body just doesn't like to work without water. What's happening, when you shut water off from your system, your body begins to die. It's just a facts of life. And so that was the way that I was taught. That was the way that I was programmed. And of course, I heard the horror stories and even knew some men that would go on long, protracted fasts without water. And their kidneys would shut down. And their bowels would quit moving. And it would almost kill them. And so they would go into a 40-day fast to receive power with God. But they would come out of that fast in a hospital room somewhere because nobody ever taught them that what they were doing was destroying the temple of God. Amen. I can remember many times going to the water fountain, just swishing the water around my mouth and spitting it out, brush my teeth. I wouldn't even take a drink of that water. And I would try so many times. God had dealt with me for years about a 21-day fast. I could not count how many times I started that 21-day fast and would get out around six or seven days and I would collapse because I needed some water. I would take one drink. And I was so well programmed that in my mind I would begin to say automatically, this fast is no good. You have broken your fast. Can you imagine going six days without one morsel of meat, not one bite of bread, not one drop of water, and going to a water fountain on day six or day seven and getting a drink of water and walking away feeling like you had not accomplished one thing? Well, that's what happened to me. Because it had been programmed in my mind that fasting was this, and that's all there is to fasting. I thank God that in this Word and through His Spirit that He can teach us what He really means about fasting. And I would like to help you tonight. I would really like to revolutionize your thinking upon fasting. And those of you here that think that you can't fast, I guarantee you when we're done with this, you're going to know that not only can you fast, but you can do it and receive the power of God like your heart so desires so greatly. You brothers at work out there, you don't feel like you can fast, we're going to talk to you too tonight. Because I am really, I'm fed up with, with the, the gross ignorance in our churches. And so we're going to try to remedy that. you got to know tonight that fasting is not designed to kill the body. It's not designed to kill this. It's not what fasting was made for. It never was designed for that. It's, des it's designed to mortify, to crucify, to kill the flesh. And I want to talk more about this subject in a little while. But first, I want to look at some biblical examples of men and women fasting. And I want to talk to you about three different types of biblical fasts. The first one, I want to talk about Esther and her dry fast. It's what we would call a dry fast tonight. 
When Mordecai sent word to Esther that Haman was going to have all the Jews killed and that she needed to intercede for the king, uh, to the king for her people, this was her answer in Esther 4.16. She said, Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink for three days or night. I also and my maidens will fast likewise and so will I go in unto the king which is not according to the law and those famous words and if I perish, I perish. And so we find here the most easily recognized type of fast. It's called a dry fast. It's when you go without food and you go completely without water. Now this is the hardest type of fast. It is the most grueling type of fast and most strenuous type of fast by far. But I have found that in many ways it is the most effective fast because you're cutting yourself off from a whole lot of things. Now Esther needed God's help. And so they went to God in prayer and fasting. She was preparing herself for a meeting with the king. You got to understand that. This is a beautiful analogy of what we need to understand about fasting. Fasting doesn't really move God, but it prepares you with an audience with King Jesus tonight. You see, a dry fast lasting only three to seven days, it won't hurt you too bad, and it'll bring much trouble to the flesh. But I would advise anybody to go past seven days without water. I promise you, it will hurt you. I promise you that you will regret it. Now, if God tells you to do it, go until they, till the, till the creek dries. If God tells you, don't ever drink another drop the rest of your life. But you listen to this young preacher talk this, uh, this evening. Be careful how you treat your body. You say, what about Moses? What about Elijah? Well, let's talk about them. Let's, think, let's talk about Moses and Elijah. Moses was the very pers first person the Bible records having fasted in the Bible. God instructed Moses to go to the mountain. I want you to, I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments there. And so I want to read that account. It's Deuteronomy. He's actually recapping what happened in chapter 9, verse 9. Moses said, When I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I abode in the mount forty days and forty nights. Listen to this wording. And I neither did eat bread nor drink water. Very plain. I didn't eat, I didn't eat nothing. I didn't drink one drop. Very specific in his details. Now, if you remember when he came down from that mountain, what did he find? They was dancing around a golden calf naked, and he threw the tables, broke them. The Bible tells us immediately, verse 25, he said, Thus I fell down before the Lord forty days and forty nights, as I fell down at the first, because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Moses didn't fast for forty days. Moses fasted for 80 days. And the way it appears to me, it was 80 consecutive days. The only thing breaking up those two 40-day intervals was him busting up that golden calf and making them drink it out of that creek down there, out of that book. Let me explain something to you. A human person, if they're heavy enough, could go 80 days without food. It is, it is incomprehensive to think of somebody going 80 days without water. It is humanly impossible. You cannot go without water for 80 days. And some of you that don't have any weight on you, you couldn't go without food for 80 days. It's an impossible thing that Moses did. So how did Moses do it? I'm going to tell you tonight, it was a supernatural fast, and there's a very logical explanation for this. We find it in Exodus 24, 15 through 18. And Moses went up into the mountain, a cloud covered the mount, and the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. 
The sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mountain. Moses was in the mount forty days and forty nights. Moses was standing in the very presence of God. We have some good services. I felt God's glory this morning. But this was more than that. God himself settled down upon him. It was more than Moses being in the presence of God. Moses was standing in very God. The very atmosphere he breathed was eternity. Have you ever knelt down to pray? And I mean you got in a powerful spirit of prayer. And it felt like just a few minutes had passed. And you looked at the clock and it had actually been four or five hours. You ever had that happen, anybody? I mean, you've, you've experienced that because you were walking in the presence of God. You were standing in eternity. And that's exactly what happened to Moses except in a much greater capacity. And what seemed to be 80 days to the children of Israel was only a brief moment to Moses because he was standing in the very presence of God. And then we look at Elijah. Now, it's my opinion, and you can fall out or whatever, I don't even think that Elijah's 40 days was even a fast. I don't even call what he did fasting. It was a great miracle from God. And I'm going to show you why. Jezebel sent word, I'm going to kill you. So he's sitting down there by the juniper tree crying, poor mouth and talking about wanting to die. And he nods off to sleep. An angel wakes him up. There's a bread on the fire. There's a, a water there. And the angel says this. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. The angel told him to eat, and the Bible said he went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights. Believe whatever you want to. It's not, not that important for me. But the way I see this is he didn't do without. God made that meal sustain him. There's no difference in what the Word of God said right there that from you sitting down at the breakfast table in the morning and eating a good breakfast and then not being hungry again until dinner time. Except this meal carried him not six hours, but 40 days. It's powerful and it's awesome, but it was a great miracle. And Elijah may not would have been able to do that, but the angel knew he didn't have time to eat for the next 40 days. And so he said, I got you a little bread cooking here. And when you take a bite of this one, you're not going to get hungry again for 40 days. It's also important that you see that the Bible said he went in the strength of that meat, not drink. To me, this seems to imply that there was a possibility that he still drank water throughout that 40-day period. Moses and Elijah's 40-day fast were supernatural fasts. Now, the Bible gives us record of another man who fasted 40 days. His was not a supernatural fast. It was Jesus. His was the ultimate fast. His was the perfect fast. His was a fast that weakened him. His was a fast that drained him. But it did not destroy him. He gives us the most perfect example of what a 40-day fast should be like. Matthew 4, 1 and 2, the Bible said, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. It's very important that you notice the wording, afterward and hungered. No mention of thirst, just hungered. You've got to understand a large portion of the human body's water. Pretty much two-thirds. Water is its primary need. And for the Bible to say that after 40 days of fasting that he merely was hungry, not thirsty, it lets me know, in my opinion, that he was most likely drinking from a spring somewhere in that wild Judean desert. 
Now, if you remember what the Bible said about Moses' fast, you'll recall that he neither ate bread nor drank water. Very, very plain. If you recall what the Bible said about Esther's fast, very plain, no drink, no water. But concerning Jesus, when he came out of this fast, he was hungry. Now, the body's most natural need would have been thirst. But the Bible did not say anything about thirsting. Now, another thing is when we think about wilderness, we think about the, the hills of Kentucky. It wasn't that at all. He was in a desert. Now, if you know anything about the desert, scorching heat in the day, freezing temperatures at night, hot, breathtaking blasts of wind coming off a of burning sand, freezing temperatures at night. He had to drink something or he would have dehydrated in just a couple of days. His was a true fast. It was not a supernatural fast. And the reason I say that because immediately after the fast was over, the Bible said the angels came and had to minister to him. So it was not a supernatural fast. His was a perfect fast. Esther's three-day fast was a dry fast. Christ's fast was accompanied by drinking water. And again, I'm not up here trying to make you believe everything I say. But if I can get you thinking and studying, I've done my job. Now this brings me to a very important point, and I think that you need to log this into your minds tonight. When dealing with the crucifixion of the flesh, we've got to consider that there's more to fasting than abstinence from food. The reason I say that Jesus' 40-day fast was a perfect fast was he was totally and completely isolated from any other human being. Now you think about that and try to grasp that for a moment. There were no telephones, there were no computers, there were no radios, there were no magazines, no grocery stores, there was no books, although I do believe that he had the book of Deuteronomy with him, that's my own personal opinion, all three times that he cut the enemy, he used the book of Deuteronomy, and I personally know how it is when I'm studying a certain book of the Bible, I tend to quote it a lot, I tend to use it a lot, and he used the book of Deuteronomy three times, so there's a very good possibility he took that book into the wilderness with him, I don't know. But now the thing about it is, when you're by yourself for 40 days, and you've not spoken to another individual, you can almost go crazy. Trust me, I ain't been that long in isolation, but most of us can't hardly go five hours by ourselves. And this hour of text messaging, emails and telephones and radios and many other modern technologies, this generation can't fathom going 40 days and 40 nights without correspondence with people or some type of machine. You hardly ever, perhaps never hear about somebody locking, them, locking themselves up for a week or so and nothing but a jug of water in the King James Version Bible. They would go in insane because we don't know what it is to be locked up with nothing but God and nothing but his word we're so used to being able to walk away from it and read something or go somewhere or go shopping but you see there's more to fasting than just abstaining from food and drink when a man goes to fasting, he really needs to put the newspapers away. He really needs to shut the radio off. He needs to put the magazines away. And I don't care how good our books are. Our sermon books need to be shelved. And all we need to read is that King James Version Bible. Because it will build that spirit man all the while you're destroying that fleshly man. You've got to learn to fast more than just physical necessities. You've got to learn to get this mind, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 
It's very, very important. And you need to, when you're fasting, you need to pray as much as possible. And you need to learn to find isolation as much as possible. We have got to deny ourselves of fleshly pleasures. And this flesh enjoys more than just food. Did you know that? Amen. And so we've got to learn to fast more than just bread and water, saints of God. Now I'm getting ready to tear some of you up. All right, and I want to talk to you about Daniel. And I want to talk to you about his fast. It's the third type of fast that I've discovered in the Word of God, demonstrated by Daniel. You know the fast, the 21-day fast that he went on. I'd like to tell you tonight that he didn't go without food or water. He ate and drank. And I'm going to prove that beyond a shadow of a doubt, too. Three weeks fast. My whole entire life, I thought Daniel never drank a drop, never ate a bite. It's not true. Daniel said in chapter 10, verse 3, listen very close. Daniel said, I ate no pleasant bread. Why did he say pleasant? He's given a description of what he didn't eat. I ate no pleasant bread. Neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now you've got to notice the Bible did not say that Daniel totally abstained from all types of bread, all types of drink, but rather Daniel ate no pleasant bread and no flesh or wine entered his mouth. He had not, uh, had he not eaten anything, the Bible would have plainly stated like it has every other place, he ate no bread. But didn't say that. He ate no pleasant bread. His, his wording was very precise, very descriptive. He ate no meat. He drank nothing from the vine. He ate nothing pleasurable. He drank nothing pleasurable. But according to what I'm reading right here, seems to be very plain that his fast was a general abstinence, living on coarse, tasteless, and bland food, and probably drinking nothing but water. You say, that's not a fast. Tell Daniel that. Tell Michael that who wrestled with the prince of Persia for 21 days to stop that man of God to get, from getting that message. And some of you don't feel like you're fasting because you can't go 40 days without food. It's not about your body, saints of God. And I want to talk to you about that extensively tonight. It's not about the body at all. It's about the flesh. It's about the flesh. Daniel wasn't trying to kill himself. He was trying to deny this fleshly man that lives inside this body if we allow him to. Daniel was trying to get the connection clear so he could bombard heaven. That's right, the same Daniel had fasted 21 days. He has ate no pleasant bread. Now most of you, if you somebody said, well, I fasted for 21 days, and I said, well, all I, I ate a little bread in the morning, some toast, no butter, nothing, just toast and drank water. A lot of folks say that's not a fast. It is a fast. And Daniel demonstrates that type of fast to us. I think people have been ignorant for too long. I really do. And probably not you. But I know I've taught all this in my home church. Last, last four out of five services I've done nothing but teach, 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 teach. And I've discovered many things. I've had men that work 80 hours a week come to me and say, Brother Lamb, I'm glad that you told me about Daniel because I've never been able to fast. I get out there working, sweating, about dying, and I can't hardly do it. But now I know that I can. And that's all that I'm trying to do tonight is to show you 
that there's more to fasting than what we've been taught and what's been implied. There's more to fasting than just waking up one morning, not drinking, not eating, and saying, man, I'm getting somewhere with God. There's a lot more to it than that. I, so, so here we see three types of fasting. A dry fast, fasting with nothing but water, and then a bland, coarse, tasteless fast. You've got to understand that fasting can be done in many ways. But the main purpose of fasting is crucifixion of the flesh. Someone might want to go 40 days, but they can't physically go without, uh, they can't just go with nothing but water. So you might drink a little bit of vegetable juice. Somebody said, oh, that's terrible. Well, what you do it? Let's see you do that if it's not a fast. All right, mark it. Today's your first day. I want you to go the next 40 days, drink nothing but tomato juice. Let's see how far you make it. Let's do it. I mean, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious. I'm just trying to put this in perspective. I'm not being facetious or a smart aleck. I'm just dealing with the situation as plain as I can. I, I remember some time ago, I, I was just dealing with the subject of fasting and, and, and talking to a friend of mine and, and, and certain things of that nature. And he began to talk about a young man who was almost on his 30th day. And I was like, that sounds great. And then he made mention that this young man had drank some kind of energy drink. I don't, I don't advocate that. I mean, I, I don't get able to drink no energy drink, so I'm fasting. But this guy was making fun of this boy. And I didn't say anything. But in my mind, I wanted to say, Bubba, I'd like to see you go the next 30 days without one bite of food. Drink all the energy drinks you want to. I'd like to see you. And here he was talking about this long, lengthy fast that he was going to go on. He wasn't boasting or bragging. There's two pastors talking. I knew that his long, lengthy fast was about four days. Four days for me is not a lot of time. My point is I could have just as easily made fun of him. I could have said, you mean to tell me all you can fast is four days? But I didn't do that because I know this man had never fasted in his life. And for him to go four days was, was massive. And I was proud of him. He was making leaps and bounds. But because this man had a preconceived notion of what fasting was, he said this young man hadn't fasted because he had drank something on a 30-day fast. And I realized that that man didn't really understand what fasting was about. I've heard of special circumstances where a person, a severe diabetic, I got all this in my notes, I had it before I came here, just so happens that I've talked to different ones that were diabetics. They want to fast. A Holy Ghost filled person that's got diabetes wants to fast. But if you listen to the, the thought that comes from a lot of our pulpits, our folks just got sugar diabetes that did not necessarily come from not taking care of themselves. I think I heard those statements that they think he got it from Agent Orange. And it wasn't nothing he ate. That was what he got in the military. And a lot of folks will say, now, those Staten came fast because he may not be able to go 21 days without food or water. For a severe diabetic to go without food for an extended amount of time is almost suicide. But you're going to tell me that a diabetic can't fast? Sure they can. Sure they can. It's not about the body, saints of God. It's about the flesh. It's about denying yourself the pleasures that this flesh so long. And I'm still not talking about this body. And I'm going to make a very distinct difference. And it's going to be crystal clear before I'm done. I'm just trying to get there. The fast isn't intended to kill the body. It's designed to kill the flesh. I'm going to say it over and over and over. And if you don't remember anything I say, I want you to walk away and say, Brother Lamb said the fast is not designed to destroy the body. It's designed to kill the flesh. No one has a right 
to dictate what a fast is to you. Nobody. Nobody. I'm a very healthy person, Brother Staten. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just saying, the chances are I can probably fast without food a lot longer than you or someone that's got diabetes. Does that make my fast more effective than his? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And you can see I feel very fervent about this situation, this subject, because our people are being cheated of the glory of God because they have been taught that they can't fast. Every person in this room can fast and can fast in such a way the glory of God will flow through you like a river. As scripture said, out of their belly shall flow rivers of living water. It's not a person in this room that can't use fasting to break that flesh down and see that river flow. Amen. I'm beginning to feel the power of the Holy Ghost. Fast. It may differ from one person to the next. We're not in a competition who can outfast the other man. Well, I fasted 20. I fa Shut up. You need to fast about 150. And while you're fasting and starving yourself, you need to get on the altar and get all that nasty, fleshly stuff out of you. All you're doing is on Jenny Craig's Weight Watchers about all you got going on. Amen. Amen. I'm feeling dangerous too. What you may fast or what may be a fast for you may not be a fast for somebody else. A fast has got to reach for that old man. A fast grips the carnal nature, drags him under. Now see, this is the problem with this subject because there's no way for me to teach this without giving some types of personal testimony. There's no way. We preach about praying, we have no problem talking about praying. And so you're just going to have to pray about it. Uh, God knows the humility of my heart. I'm just talking about experience upon this subject. So I'm just going to tell you, a six-day fast doesn't do a lot for me. I can go without food or water six days and it doesn't really help me that much. Now what a six or seven-day fast does, it puts me in perspective. It helps me keep control of myself, which I have lost control through the times. I'm going to explain to you. I've got a testimony tonight. All of this is very real to me because I weigh 232 pounds. I am 60 pounds overweight. I was, three, I was 260 pounds. I'm down about 25, 30 pounds. This is very real to me. It's something very personal with me and something that God has dealt with me very seriously about. And it's hard to come here and talk about this because we got a lot of people that are overweight and they're suffering physically and you can't hide that. You know what I'm saying? You can't hide that. You are what you are. There's a lot of things you can preach on and you can act like you ain't guilty. But you start preaching on some things and we just are what we are. And the Lord has challenged me very much so about this subject. And so if I... If I get a little carried away tonight, it's only because I feel what I'm telling you tonight. And I'm talking from personal experience. <sighs> Amen. Fasting, it clears a connection. I'm going to talk very plain about that later, it, it, if, I, if I have time. It clears the connection between me and God. I have to go as long as I have to go. You don't just... Sometimes I set a time frame. I'll go this long and quit. Other times I start and I set no time frame because I have to go until he's broken, until he's gone. And that's where we fail at many times. We do the same thing with praying. We call it praying through, but we don't do much of it. 
We said we'll pray an hour today. We pray an hour. You all not set a time exactly. When you're needing to pray through, you just start. And you say, I'm not letting go until I get through. And that's the way fasting should be. However it is that you fast, you need to do that until you feel that fleshly man break. Anyone and everyone can fast. Fasting is merely abstinence. You've got to decide what to abstain from. You have to decide how your body can handle it. You have to decide what's going to plummet my sugar to a, about 10 and kill me. And what can I keep at about 60 or 70 and maybe I ain't going to feel the best, but I can still keep marching on. You've got to figure these things out. When I'm working and I'm sweating like a hog, I've got to figure out how much I've got to drink to keep me from falling apart at work, at work so I can continue putting it on the flesh, but I can still work and support my family. It's up to you to figure that out. I can't figure that out for you. I can't dictate what that is to you. That's why Jesus never uh, said, point number one, you must fast this way, this many days without this. He didn't say that. He just said these can't come by. And that is whatever it is to you. And you've got to figure that out. And then you've got to do that because you cannot crucify the flesh unless you use this tool that God's given us called the fast. Something that you've got to understand about Jesus. He was in the wilderness. He wasn't swinging a hammer. He wasn't pulling.